I've been home for like four or five nights. Five nights. I think five. How long is the tour? Well, the tour, it was, there was, there were festival gigs and then there were promo performances in New York City and Austin and in Dallas. Um, and then impress in New York as well. Um, and so, yeah, so it's just been very busy, busy, busy. Um, and all my gear coming from tour is usually lands at my house. And then I'm like, then my bass player comes and helps me move it. <laughs> and, but I did get my piano set back up like pretty quick this time. And I think I really, that was important for my mental health. When you say piano, you mean like piano, piano? Yeah. Or the, the keys, you know, I've got a, a keyboard here that I run through a, an amp usually. How does having that around impact your mental health? Just, you know, the act of Im- improv is not, eh, you know, the act of improv on an instrument is just, I think I really believe in like how healing that is in that relationship. So, um, I value that time and, and I think it's, it, it helps me. I really believe it's, you know, playing an instrument is healing, even if you're not good at it. <laughs> I assume that you're good at the piano at this point. I'm a good, I'm a good songwriter and, um, I play piano well enough and I got like good, I have good rhythm and, uh, like I drum and stuff and I always have. So got good rhythm I can keep a pocket and I mainly like and I have just like simple licks that they just they're enough you know I'm trying to expand upon those and that's why I busted busted out the keyboard right away to to stay in practice and um try and learn something that's what uh that's what gets me all jazzed up learning (laughs) I would assume that drums are the most cathartic of instruments drums are that's a great motion that's a really great. And you can hit it as hard as you possibly want. Yeah, I figured out when I was a kid that if you slowed down any piece of music, you could do it. And I figured that out. Like, so I just would like my drummer left his drum kit at my mom's house, and this is when I was a teenager, probably four, fifteen or something. And uh, and then so I'd sit at the kit and I taught myself how to play, like because you know how to syncopate and do you know move an arm move a leg different shake a leg different you know i don't know if i have the capacity for that i walking and chewing gum i'm well, not a very coordinated person i i don't even know if i am but i can i can i can get by tell you how often do you find yourself tripping over things in life like like literally you know what i trip but i never fall i is that weird? But I, because I'm tall, I'm tall and I kind of, um, have a, a gate where I like, sometimes I do trip, but I never fall. Cause I, I think cause I grew up snowboarding and skateboarding. So I'm like, I got some balance, but yeah, I'm tall. So it's like, you know, it's a lot to get around. My initial thought would be that falling at all is not coordinated. But honestly, I think that, that the, the ability to save yourself from falling in the process of falling is actually like supersedes that. It's actually more more coordinated. Perhaps. Yes. Yes. Interesting thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is the piano your go-to? 
Uh, well, it is lately, um, but no, my first instrument was guitar. And guitar, um, that was my button. I was snapping my jacket. And, uh, but I, yeah, guitar was in my hand when I was like four or five. Um, my dad played guitar. And, uh, and I grew up seeing him play guitar and sitting at a piano. And like, he was never formally taught either. So that's how I, taught myself as well and uh but but just seeing someone doing it i think was enough of an imprint and i'm grateful for that you know reading up on your history i'm like very curious i don't know level's not the right word but but where your parents sort of respective lives in music were because there's the very interesting wrinkle to this that uh bob weir was hanging out at your house all the time oh yeah i don't know if it was all the time sure but enough to but, uh, uh, yeah, you know, and I'm sure Bob- More than he hung out of my house. How about that? I guess so. Yeah. See, I was, I was real young. I was real young. My, um, my sisters remember. Um, but I, I met him when I was older in the nineties. Uh, cause they stayed in touch and then, uh, Bob came up to Seattle to do some shows. And at one point we saw, and I don't remember if it was that trip, but actually right before Jerry passed, I got to see grateful dead when i was i don't know what age i was it was in seattle memorial stadium and i think in 94 or 95 right i'm not certain the year that jerry died i i I do know his music very well but i i and i even read his you know i was reading a grateful dead bio you know last year um but but yeah i mostly know his music better but (laughs) you're like a lifelong dead fan i I really appreciate the dead. Um, you know, it, it's different. It's like, I love the songs and some of the, I'm particular about which Grateful Dead recordings I like. You know, the, the eighties live stuff is pretty solid. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Who knows why, but it could be. Related, I don't know, like it, it, whether they were doing okay or not. But but there's certain recordings, you know, you gotta you sift through and find the magic ones. So yeah, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Is may, maybe like hopefully by that point in their lives they had uh, figured out their drugs a little bit more. Bob Bob always stays in shape, and he's like, uh, at least I you know I follow him on, on Instagram, and I like read about him. We don't, I'm not in touch or anything like that. But it was like. I just, I noticed that. I was like, I'm really into, like, staying active because just for mental health reasons. So I love following Bob Weir and seeing that, um, like, an aging rock star is taking care of their body. And so, uh, just side note on that, like, mad respect. Bob Weir is, like, killing it. I've, he's strong. He's, like, doing stuff, like, his, his workouts and stuff. It's so cool. It's a fair point. Like I had a I had Nick Lowe on the show a while back, and like he that's a to me he's the best possible example of a of a rock star aging gracefully. Yeah, like a um, you know it's it's good to be it's good to be healthy. I'm into yoga and don't drink coffee anymore. I can't. I got to keep like adrenaline in check. I quit coffee during the pandemic, and it was. It was harder than stopping 
drinking alcohol for me. It's in, it's really insidious the way it impacts your mood. I found when you come come off of the um, coffee, like I didn't realize. How about for instance, today I didn't have a cup of tea. I always have a, either Earl Grey or, or yerba mate. That's caffeine. That's you know I didn't quit caffeine. Fair. Okay. Love the tea kettle. Uh, love the teapot. And, um, yeah, so I got to keep in a kettle in my room, like when I traveled to England and they always had a kettle in the bedroom and you make your tea. So I love, and I love English breakfast and Earl Grey, but well, they make it strong there. Oh my God. So strong. So today I hadn't had a, a cup of tea and then I went and had one. And I was like, Oh my God, my whole body was just like, Oh, that's what it was missing. It was like great feeling of missing something but i was definitely addicted to coffee mm, yeah what happened to me during the pandemic is you know it's, i i live in new york i live in queens oh. in like a one bedroom i went through some health stuff too but there was that like long stretch where i just like wasn't leaving the apartment so i was getting up and like my ritual was was getting up and walking to the stove and i had like a little mocha pot and making coffee on it and then at a certain point i realized that i was making like four of those a day <laughs> right <laughs> yes yeah it just gets to that i'm telling you i mean i i got off oh so here's the thing i got off alcohol six years ago and and prior to that i had seven years and then i you know fell off when i was coming out of the closet and struggling there but i i got back on so it's the same thing when you I don't know if anyone has ever quit, you know, uh, anyone listening never quit alcohol, but coffee is such a great replacement. You know, uh, or lots of people quit alcohol, but you know what I mean? Coffee is like alcohol in that it is, in that it's ritualistic and, and that it is like, again, like living in New York. There's pain killing qualities too, coffee for body aches and stuff. I noticed that I think that's why the morning is so is like getting used to not having so much of that is weird. The other aspect, uh, uh, the other parallel between alcohol and coffee is that it's like a very social thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's super ritualistic communal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that aspect of, uh, of tea just as well though. So I, I'm lucky that I like that. And I kind of convinced myself a little too, you know, I can, do that and then I can because I'm like really it's healthier the for the voice and you know sometimes acid reflux is unavoidable so but if you can do a couple things to to avoid it I know that's good so for me I'm just trying to use my my voice a lot and sing was touring ever a struggle when you first gave up alcohol as, as far as like oh, yeah. a big part of the job is like I mean, you're you're effectively at a bar every night. Yeah, I mean, I think my first time quitting that definitely because I was 21 and or 22 uh, when I got out of jail, and and so being out that was hard. But uh, this last time, you know, I'm having six years now. Six years ago, it was like I actually went on the road at four months clean. I don't know. I really had a a staunch commitment, if that makes sense, um, to not going there again. And it was, and I had, you know, done some work around putting the pieces together, you know, therapy and things like that. So I actually went out on the road, uh, at four months clean and I did great. 
And, you know, I started to find myself and like how to, you know, it's just about finding your yourself and your personality. And then if you want to share that with others and how, how comfortable, you know, what parts, how do we socialize again? Learn, I learned how to do it again, of course. But, you know, I'm a jokester and I'm really grateful that I've always leaned on that, like just being silly. Trying not to take myself so seriously. And yeah, for my sanity, I think. <laughs> so you got out of jail and you're like, I just need to do, I, I need to do all the right things now. Yeah. 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 I was scared chillest because I didn't want to go back. Like I had a, I would go back, I would go to prison, you know, if I violated it. And, you know, and what a great thing that was for me. It really was. Being in jail. Well, no, it just worked in my favor that, you know, to have a period of abstinence. Not to say that, by the way, there's lots of drugs in L.A. County. And so, you know, by the end of that stay, I was moved to a place where there wasn't drugs. You know what I mean? And then I was like... So it had to come to Jesus, quote unquote. I'm not religious, but the old saying, as it were. Uh, <laughs> I was like, yes, I got to say, as it were. So yeah, no, I. I think it was a immensely shocking and probably a good way, and also um, some ways that I don't think like relationships with. I don't think the justice system has a is very just, if we if you will. Mm-hmm. I will. And so it wasn't so much about my experience. In fact, I, I reflected a lot on how it was more about learning about what how the the world and how the government works and how uh, the judicial you know just how things work. And that was my first. That was my rude awakening to what the world really, what we battle right humanity and lack thereof. So that was eye opening for me. And, um, I think it took a lot of years to not just process that, but then be like, Oh yeah, I guess being incarcerated and being treated like an inmate and yelled at and all that is not, not cool. Uh, You know, being strip searched is really demoralizing. And I'm in, and I'm not even that prideful of a person. I'm like a chick, so I'm always like, "Oh, everything's fine, right?" <laughs> but like looking back, I'm like, "Oh yeah, that was total fucking violation." Well, that's the point, right? That's the point is you're constantly monitored, and but that's not the point because in writing, it's supposed to be that they are just watching. Like in jail, you're supposed to be just the officers are supposed to just escort them to court and keep them fed and safe. While they're on trial, they're not even convicted yet. And the behavior towards the inmates is that of that they've done the crime, right? So once you, you're not like, in that scenario, you're not innocent until proven guilty. You know what I mean? You're, so you're, you're guilty, right? You're in, like they said, you know, if you're in county blues, you're, you're, you're guilty. So. I mean, and I'm and I'm not saying I wasn't guilty, by the way. <laughs> I did. I robbed a drug dealer, and uh, it didn't work out in my favor. And I'm glad. I'm a creative. I have that 
part of my brain going. I've been studying kind of, um, and since all this, I've done a lot, I've done a lot of therapy and EMDR and whatnot, and I stay very attentive to self-care now. And um, there's been a lot of healing since I'm, it's it's all about, you know, today staying grateful for what I have, which is a lot. And, you know, transmitting all this experience into song and into groove and lyric and story, you know. And I have a lot of energy to share if I can channel it. And I've been able to channel it, I think, in a, in a very emotionally gratifying way for me. And now I see if people will find that emotionally gratifying. And that's the goal. Well, yeah, I'm one of a lot of people who really who hit that wall during the pandemic. You know, that was like, that was my moment where I'm like, okay, I need to years of putting off therapy, because my mom was a therapist. This is the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Interesting. I'm sure a lot of people went through something similar. Sure. How, how during that period? I mean, how did you avoid getting really bleak? depression or um, the bleakness yeah i i had to stay active and and you know i'd have a lot of activities to distract me which you know playing piano and i was composting and gardening and cooking and then you know and then eventually i think i and then playing you know concerts online and i think i probably burned out and then i would have some some days where i just needed to like be in bed and cry <laughs> And then I just tried to keep growing. So I like did this uh, ACA program and was in, was doing that pretty staunchly for a minute um, and doing therapy and EMDR right at the beginning. Then the pandemic hit and I had to stop doing that in person. So yeah, to stay busy, but then sometimes busy isn't always the answer to feelings. It's like, you gotta, I'm like, I give, I'm real good at running, real good at running from whatever I don't want to feel too. So I'm like mindful for myself. I don't remember talking to anyone who, who, who at least like, you know, discussed going through ACA. My, my dad was in ACA. It's, it's very, oh, really? yeah. What do you get out of that experience? Oh, I mean, it's, it's gnarly. So we should explain what ACA is. ACA, oh, it's a, adult children of alcoholics, and it's really more about um, or or families of dysfunction is the subtitle. Uh, so it, it's like a division. That, you know, I came in through twelve step and AA a while back, and um, and then got into Al-Anon because I have uh, there's addiction in my family, and I was trying to support a loved one, um, and then I moved. Uh, you know, I discovered there's this uh, adult children uh, alcoholics div- branch of 12 step, and I liked it. I liked the literature a lot. It started like in the 1970s, and they were talking about somatic tension in the body equating uh, to emotional experiences or historical and emotional experiences in the body. So uh, they were like, I was like, that's pretty early on. Now, now that's common knowledge. So I was impressed by that, and I started going to the meetings. And you're talking about like t- trauma. Yes, trauma. Emotional trauma is a physical sensation in the body, 
And so they say that in, you know, in science now, they're the science of whatever psychology and all that. But, but, you know, I found that to be true. So, uh, it's about like, you know, piecing together your story, uh, from your childhood and reclaiming sort of part of childhood, uh, connecting with experiences and who you were when you were young and how that felt. And maybe actually kind of like processing them there, processing some of that moves it, but it's also like somatic. It's, it's physical. That's why music is so healing again, again. Um, so again, and I'm always motivated back to heal a little bit more cause I know it's going to help the art and it's going to help. I'm, I feel like I'm telling my story and I want this time I'll try to manifest some like good, good joy, sweetness too. some like, you know, manifesting love and whatnot in, in, with this album. But with ACA, you said your dad was, so you learned about the program that way t- a little bit, huh? I, a little bit. I never really, I don't know a lot about it. Yeah, it's really cool. But it can be really hard because a lot of, sometimes people have, you know, everybody has different traumas. And there's, you know, so I definitely had to, back away a little from it at one point to be like, Oh, like there's, you know, okay. I can go in deeper at a different time in my life because you, I think you want to do these things safely and slowly, like when the body tells you, right. But even having a conversation with the body was like not something I ever learned. And, and so I, I had a lot of stress in my childhood and, uh, and so I just learned how to disassociate as a young person, which is, it became, it's like my superpower and that I can create music there. And I have, there's words there and I got into writing and knew that I could channel if I had read enough or this, that I could get, you know, I could use it. But, it, but to be a whole person and to keep evolving and, you know, coming into my own and being more confident and whatnot. I got to know what's kind of in there and I want to have a relationship with my, with my body and know in my experience as well and have some emotional intelligence. That's the bottom line. Uh, I mean, you strike me as a pretty confident person. <laughs> yeah, I can put on. Is it all a lie? No, uh, no, I have some real confidence. I do. Um, I think it's just, I'm, I have this like, I have like a message. I've always felt that way since I was a kid. Like I have, I just have things to write about and that I, I serve a purpose and that I write what I observe, not because I'm not just telling my own story. I'm trying to tell, um, the story of the collective. And I've always believed in that. But so I, that is literally my one confident thing. I'm really good at music. That's a good thing to be confident in when you're a musician. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm good at making the music. It's not even like that I shred. It's like I can write. And, I can, and yeah, so, but, uh, so that helps. That helps with, it does create some confidence, but, but that's, confidence is a journey. I think as a queer person, it's a different kind of journey. 
How so? Oh, well, it's kind of like about embodying. So I was told in not so many ways by society and by, you know, just family and everyone, because nobody knew any better, right? But they would tell me, like, my mannerisms were not this or that, right? Because I'm like... I'm like both, like, you know, I'm feminine and have masculine qualities. I was like good at sports and very, uh, I could, I don't know. I guess that's the only thing that's masculine. Good at sports. I I was skateboarding and stuff. I was like, so I think that coming out is, is is a process that begun a few years back now, several, several years back now. And it's a process, so I feel more comfortable, like, being my true self. And whatever, like, oddness that might entail. I'm just an air sign, if you will. <laughs> so, head in the clouds, but also, like, you know, gender expression, right? Specifically, gender. It's not linear and it never really I don't think it never really was naturally to be that way I think we assimilated these behaviors to sit yeah to fit into that narrative and it was cute right it was cute you know that's fine that's there's joy in that um but like what I'm saying is like it doesn't matter who expresses what Femininity or masculinity, right? It shouldn't matter who and what, you know. You said it's a process, but again, you know, again, it's been a number of years. But you, you still feel like you're on that journey of coming out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For my to myself, probably. You know, there's so much I don't know about myself. So, uh, but at least by way of discovering my my sexuality and my true identities and stuff like like i've been able to be open to growing you know so that's that's cool i'm with that obviously don't don't know what's going on in your head but it doesn't strike me that there's any like there's there's at least there's not a lot of obvious lingering shame around it if there ever was no no, but you know what? It's insidious. Sometimes it creeps into interactions and intimate relationships, actually. Uh, and it's something I got to just work on. I literally have, I mean, probably a couple weeks ago, I think, like a couple weeks ago, I, th- I was having a shame thing. You know what I mean? It's just, it's got to pass through. It's got to just pass through the body, I think. And so, but yeah, no, it's still, there's still there. I think it's, it just takes years to heal again, like for the body to heal and for the body to complete experiences, you know, both emotionally and physically that, that occur in their life. Right. The things that have occurred in my life, I need to understand physically and emotionally and spiritually and, and learn and grow and try and be better to myself and to others. Uh, so to be more true to myself is the goal. And yeah, it's, it is a discovery process still, still, but in a good way. 
It, it seems like a maybe an aspect of coming out that people don't talk about enough that you can logically understand that there's nothing wrong with it, but but there's still you know decades of indoctrination to work through. Exactly. Yes, it's decades of being having people like even even too once you come out now there's like you have the experience of of being gay bashed <laughs> so then you got that then you got like i'm looking back at my childhood and the way everybody spoke was so homophobic like that yeah it just takes time to shed those kinds of experiences right because they happen and and then but yeah just years and years of yeah think you know people not wanting to talk about it like when people say oh i don't want i don't want to talk about it you're like but but why (laughs) like that's just who i am that was that a reaction that you had when you first came out from people yeah yeah well I, i had that feeling that they were so uncomfortable. And I'm like, that's curious. That's curious. I had, you know what I mean? I'm, and I'm, again, I don't focus on the bad, but if I deny that it's there, I'm not growing. Like denying the existence of something does not make, you know, make me immune to the problem or the results of the experience. I think there's a lot of people that you'll encounter in life who like consider themselves progressive and have progressive ideas, but when it really (laughs) comes down to it. Right. Uh, Emotional intelligence. Again, a lot of people are just, if they can be sheltered in different ways and they shelter themselves, but what they don't realize is that without having like, being communicative and open is proven to be more effective in relationships, you know, in every way. I'm asking these questions from a very, from a very privileged position, and I completely understand that. But, you know, when you say oh, well, in the six years that you've been out that you've experienced gay bashing, like, it is something that is surprising to me. Well, it shouldn't be. I know, I know that, you know, it's one of those things, like, I understand that implicitly. But information is still, you know, we still, uh, you know, that's why it's important to be out, I think, and visible. Like, perhaps if you were to meet a gay person that you love, or you heard the music, you know, maybe that would help. I just, to change hearts is to change minds, I think. Um, because, yeah, there's still there's still a lot of backwards thinking. Mm, things that, you know, really uh, Trump set a fire to a lot of white supremacy and just, like, craziness in this country. So it's, it's heated, definitely. And I see... I see that, but I, I, again, I don't want to live my life in fear. And I am very aware, because I've, I've already lived a lot of life, so I'm very aware of my situations. Um, 
And as a woman, I have to be. Just aware of your surroundings. Yeah, and- yeah, you do. You have to be aware. As, yeah, definitely, definitely. You alluded a little bit to the um, positivity, and, that, and it's something that struck me on, in particular, the first song on this new album. I mean, it's a, it's like a celebratory song about a really kind of a giant bummer. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, which song? World Worth Keeping? World Worth Keeping, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's an accurate depiction. Yeah. It is. It's like, you know, just do it for the goodness. Do it for that little bit. Find, try a little harder, maybe. But it's also, like, hopeful that we can do it. Um, and, you know, save the planet as I was alluding, or was also trying to save a relationship simultaneously. So I I believe that's where the lyric came from. Sort of that pleading, I was like, take take a look around you. But, yeah, it's it's about trying to save the planet, or at least um, advocating for just talking about it at all. But, you know, it's not going away. And I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, so I learned a little bit. I was, like, learning about the planet, um, about climate change when I was really, like, young. And so I've always felt passionate about the environment and how, um, you know, what we can do to make it better. But now it's almost like we cannot look the other way because we've got hurricanes this way and that and floods and fires and annihilating civilization. But, you know, it's, and I'll say it in the song, but it's, you know, billionaires uh, could really alleviate their footprint if they wanted to. But that's not how you get to be a billionaire. Well, you don't get to be a billionaire by helping people. I mean, everybody got to pay taxes, but... You'd be surprised <laughs> when you're that rich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but the footprint that they leave is detrimental. And then they're like, hey, don't don't use plastic straws. And you're like, wait, what? You know? So, but at least we're going to electric cars. I'm into that. I'm into that. You know, there's some cool coalitions that Robert Downey Jr. works with and stuff that I've sort of been, I was researching when I was writing the song and when I was afterwards, but. I want to pull on the thread a little bit of something you said of, you know, you you use the phrase can't look the other way um, in, in reference to, yeah, I mean, like, obviously the weather is a lot different than it was five or 10 years ago and it will continue yeah. to be, but, but that's also another parallel to trying to save a relationship that you can't look the other way. I believe that's, yeah. Yeah. Um. In terms of confronting, you know, like, cause, cause I mean, I found that in relationships too. Exactly. That's the, that's, thank you. I had to think on that, but that's, that feels true. Mm-hmm. Both confronting the relationship and, and confronting, larger issues. Um, you know, and it's something that I was, 
I like always go to different dictionaries uh, and I looked up world at one point and that means like uh, there's a lot of different worlds, right? That means community too, you know? And I, I feel that one. And I, so I wanted to make the lyrics broad enough that they could, um, you know, they could incorporate, I mean, they're kind of specific, but there's a lot of emotional bits about the song. So I'm hoping, you know, there's multiple applications for people. I was reading some interviews with you earlier on and, and, you know, you were talking about some of the songs being love songs, but I don't know. I guess emotionally, where are you at versus where you were when you started recording the record? Um, way better. <laughs> That's good to well, hear. Well, you know, it turns out making an album, uh, is very cathartic and healing, but, but also, uh, I'd gone through a breakup and I think that really helped to put some, yeah, give some peace to that, to that relationship, you know? There's always because in situations, you know, like that, where there's grief and loss, uh, you know, I also lost a friend that I wrote, you know, a song, maybe two, and talking about, um, you know, lost a lover and a friend. It's, it's sometimes song is the only way to like make sense of those uh, emotions or dance if you're a dancer. There's no other way to express that grief. I do want to try to end on a hopeful note. And yeah, yeah, you were yeah. talking, you were talking yeah, a little bit about, about hopefulness. Beautiful art is made though, Brian. It's like, that's, that's the bittersweet man. And, and I, you were talking about a lot of like, you know, uh, how, how your music is coming out of this sort of positive place. For it, growth, is but like, super positive. <laughs> it, it is, it is, but you know, I, I think that there's a lot of people who like, there's a lot of people who assume that you have to really be going through shit in order to make good art. Oh, right. No, you don't have to be killing yourself anymore. Turns out, turns out, you know? So, so yeah, I'm more like just trying to alleviate back pain and, and like do the, enough yoga <laughs> and drink a lot of water, I'm a little neurotic, but working on it. But the music has been, again, it's the medicine. It's like, it's, so it's not just the words this time, it's the words and the groove. Even, I mean, there's always been groove involved. My last record was heavily groove involved, uh, but this one is really cool. And Adrian Casada's touch on the production is chef's kiss. Yeah, groovy. Listen, I'm dealing with a, a herniated disc right now, and it really like puts things into perspective when you've got right. some some about back pain as far as like mortality and other people's struggles. Like it, yeah. I just sat up straighter when you said that. I was like, oh, I don't want to feel it tomorrow. Who <laughs> you know, like, or just you know, traveling too. That's travel back. Um, yeah, so I'm really trying to keep up with that and be good to myself. You know, why not? It's, um, it's cool. It's, it's almost like when you just, you're like, okay, I, I've struggled for a really long time. I struggled, I struggled, but I don't, I don't have to struggle as much now. There are times. You seem happy. Let go. Yeah, absolutely. I am. I have a lot of fun. So, and that's, that's new. That's like a part of the journey. So 
It's good. Bye. <laughs>